This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. Because say you can go from $50,000 to $70,000 and save that additional $20,000, you know, all of a sudden you've gone from saving, you know, what, $2,500 to $22,500. And now that simple raise or new job, as long as you don't spend more money, you've immediately increased your savings rate from five to over 30%. dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're talking about achieving financial independence. When you have enough money to live without the need of full-time employment. Sounds pretty cool, right? This may seem like something that's uh, meant for our golden retirement years, but my guest today is going to show us how to make it a reality much earlier than that. Returning as a guest for the second time, Grant Sabatier is here to show us how we can grow our income and invest so we can really enjoy the best years of our lives. At 30 years old, Grant achieved his financial independence. He went from $2.26 in his bank account at age 24 to over $1 million in just five years. Yeah, crazy stuff. Grant is the author of the new book, Financial Freedom, A Proven Path to All the Money You'll Ever Need. Welcome to the show, Grant. Oh, wow. Thanks for that warm introduction, Andy. It's it's so exciting to be back, man. I love having you know, repeat guests mean a big thing, man. That means you've got a great story and you're really going to inspire somebody here today. So, so Grant, you describe a moment in this awesome new book, and thank you for letting me get a little preview there. When you were, um, when you're 24, you got $2.26 in your bank account. I love that you put the snapshot in the book. <laughs> and you're lying on the grass eating a turkey sandwich at your parents' house after you just moved back home. So h- how did you get there, man? How did you get there at 24? Yeah, so I graduated with a philosophy degree, traditional liberal arts graduate, and bounced around four different jobs uh, after graduating at school. You know, I worked for a call center analytics company, which is as like vague as it sounds. Um, I worked at a newspaper as a researcher and had a couple other different jobs, and just never kind of found that right fit. And unfortunately, when I was working, you know, it was during the Great Recession, so I ended up actually getting laid off twice during that period. And the last period that I got laid off, you know, I realized that by then I'd traded over 4,700 hours of my life for about $85,000 after taxes. So I wasn't making very much money and found myself back at home with my parents. They said that I could crash for three months, but that they weren't going to give me a dime. So I was kind of starting from square one, I'd go down to dinner and chat with my parents, you know, in the evenings, it felt like I was 15 again. It was so embarrassing. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I just remember like the looks that they would give me at dinner being like, what jobs did you apply to today? You know, they felt, um, you know, they would just look at me skeptically and by that time, I'd sent out over 200 resumes and hadn't gotten a single call back, man. So I was I was pretty low. I was pretty sad. Yeah, and you're and you're looking for jobs during one of the most difficult times, um, you know, in our country's history, really. And this is this is you graduating and then going right into the workforce, saying, "Hey, I've done all the right things, and I'm trying to get the job, and it's just not working." So. That that story of hard work and, you know, pushing forward and, you know, getting your retirement in the golden years that it seemed to kind of, you know, hit you right away. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up kind of lower middle class. Um, You know, my parents came from very little. Uh, They were very upwardly mobile, upwardly mobily driven. And, you know, my entire life, literally one of the first things that my father ever said to me that I remember, I was probably four or five years old, and he used to tell me money is freedom. Um, And I had him on my podcast as actually the first guest, and we got to dive deep into what he actually meant by that. But, you know, money was something that, you know, they never had any money uh, when I was growing up. It was always something that was stressful. They'd talk about it a lot. 
They talked about wanting to retire even at the age of 24 when I was living back home with them. That was the, that's like the primary topic of conversation in kind of middle class America. It's like, when are we going to be able to retire? Um, their friends were talking about it. I mean, my parents now, even to today, you know, they're in their early 60s and they're both still working. And so I grew up around this idea that, you know, you're going to work hard for the next 40 years. You're going to put in your dues and, and then maybe you'll be able to retire. I, I didn't even know that early retirement was possible. There, you know, there's a family friend we had who had retired at the age of 49, but primarily because he'd inherited some money. So back when I was living with my parents, I set two really seemingly unrealistic goals, you know, just complete pie in the sky goals. I was like, I'm going to save a million dollars and retire as quickly as possible. You know, I felt so depressed. I was so sad, literally sleeping in the bed that I slept in as like a seven year old kid. And I was like, (laughs) dude, I did everything that I was supposed to do. You know, I did well in school. I worked hard and got, how, how, how did I end up back here? And not only how did I end up back here, I can't imagine the next 40 years of my life getting up and, you know, going to a job that I didn't like and a boss that could always fire me. So I'm going to figure out this money thing. Like I'm a smart enough person. I'm going to figure it out. And the first thing I did was just realize that money is essentially a human invention. You know, I was a philosophy major. So I was like, what is money? You know, it was like one of the first questions I asked. And when you take, when you sort of deconstruct money and you take your emotions out of it and you also take a lot of the power that our society places on it and you look at it for what it is, this thing that can ultimately buy you time, space and freedom in your life. And I realized that I could either control money or kind of let it control me. And then I just became obsessed with trying to figure out as much as I could about making and saving money. And so I went on a tear, man. I read over a five-year period, almost 400 money books. I mean, I was reading three three a week, four a week sometimes. Um, investing books, personal finance books. I was like, I'm going to read all the best that I can get my hands on. And that, in addition to, you know, working 80 plus hours a week, um, although looking back on it, I wouldn't have made as many trade-offs as I did. Uh, I was, you know, it was kind of like post-traumatic stress from being stuck back at my parents' house. And, but I made it happen. It took me five years, three months, and six days uh, to have $1.25 million saved in my investing account uh, from, th- from that day that I started. And, you know, I made decent money during the period. A vast majority of it I earned on my own through my own company and my side hustles. Um, I only had a full-time job really for about a year of that process. And um, yeah, I was aggressive. I was, you know, I had 13 different income streams at one point and I was saving about 80% of my income because I wanted to, I wanted to escape, you know, and much easier for me to do at the age of 24, 25, 27, um, without kids. Um, my wife, then girlfriend was doing some, some work internationally. So, you know, she wasn't around that often. So I was in the fortunate position that I didn't have many normal responsibilities, but, you know, I learned so much, Uh, during that five-year process. That's the reason that I wrote the book because the number one question I get asked is like, how did you actually do it? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the things out there, you know, I've read so many books about money. They're all, they're, they're very similar. It's like a, um, you know, you're either reading an investing book about how to invest your money. You're maybe reading something, you know, a lot of personal finance books are focused on cutting back. I realized pretty quickly that there's a limit to how much you can cut back. There's not really a limit to how much money you can make. Um, and so I was like, oh, I can only save so far. Uh, making $50,000 a year. I need to find ways to make more money. But a lot of books out there that are about making money or about entrepreneurship, it's just really kind of one idea. And then it's either a lot of fluff or um, it's really, really hard to actually, um, you know, implement in your own life. And so for me, what was essential was developing a strategy that was personal finance, entrepreneurship and investing all wrapped up into one. And that's that's what I wrote the book around, because to me, 
It's the compounding impact of being able to do all of those things. In the book, I call it the enterprise mindset, which is the simple idea that you're trying to maximize the value of your time in a way that helps you make as much money as possible for your time. And that's why if you look at everything through the lens of like, how am I making the most of my time and am I taking the best advantage of this opportunity uh, to make more money? Um, and, and that's really what the wealthy do and why the rich get richer. And, and adopting that enterprise mindset, I started to find money-making opportunities everywhere. Um, I started to, you know, it was it was just incredible once I made that switch um, for myself. And, you know, a lot of people, uh, I, I think, you know, a lot of people, and this is one of the, the big questions I get, a lot of people, I think, are really kind of two or three steps away from a life that they'd really, really love. And money often is one or two of the steps. But we live in such an all or nothing world where people, you know, they're stuck in their job and they're like, I can't imagine quitting. And it's like, oh, if you want to quit your job and have more options, the first step is you need six months of expenses saved. Just having that is going to give you a little bit more breathing room. And then the final thing that I realized through this process, but I didn't realize until I'd already become financially independent, that during this journey, I'd already had so many of the benefits and so many of so many of the freedoms that I thought I would only get once I became financially independent, I already had those so much earlier on. I just hadn't really stopped and realized it. And so you don't need millions of dollars or even to be financially independent to, to have a lot of the freedom and a lot of the benefits of both of those things. Um, and ultimately, money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. And that's something that I had to get through this process to kind of realize. But um, the, the great thing is that there's really like two or three, maybe four things that you need to do when it comes to money that are going to give you like 90% of the benefits. You know, and we've talked about these things like increasing your savings rate from five or 10% to 30%, um, reducing your housing expense. Um, the average American spends 70% of their money on housing, transportation, and food. So cut back on your housing expense, get a roommate, move somewhere smaller, house hack, um, transportation, don't buy a new car, buy a used car, food, you know, cook at home more often. That's where you're going to get the biggest savings, not in cutting those small little things that I actually cut a lot of during this process. But those small things like having a couple beers with your friends, those are the things that give you the most joy in your life. And so you shouldn't cut those things. You should focus on those things that are going to actually have the biggest impact. And the last thing, nothing in life is forever. And that's one of the, you know, people were like, oh, Grant, how could you live in such a crappy apartment and drive such a crappy car? You know, I had a $700 car that I bought on Craigslist and lived in an apartment that literally my wife, then girlfriend, she wouldn't come over to my apartment because it was so crappy. <laughs> But it's like nothing's forever. You know, I did that for like three or four years so that I could, you know, save up enough to, you know, I, I realized that the compounding curve, you know, oftentimes you save money and then in 10, 15, 20 years, you hit that inflection point of the curve where your money starts more rapidly compounding. I figured out that you could actually accelerate the rate of compounding by saving as much money as early and often as you can. And so I was like, I'm going to front load this process because you actually need less money to retire at 30 than you do at 65 because you have an additional 35 years of compounding. Um, and so I started to think about money in a very, very different way. And I got obsessed with it. I'm not going to say that like I did this like in my free time. It was like my sole focus every morning when I woke up. I was like, what am I doing today to get to this uh, next level? Um, but you don't even have to do that, honestly. Um, yeah, I that, think that's, most the, people, that's the point, you know, like where, you know, some some people might be listening now and saying, hey, I'm in my 30s or, or I'm in a, or whatever. And, and like, I just don't have the, the time. He says he's he read 400 books and he's he spent so much time because his is you know he didn't have kids and his girlfriend was away i just don't have that time but the point i think what you're trying to make in your book or what our conversation today is yeah grant situation five years that's that's incredible to do what you did but hey man everybody's thinking you know i'm gonna retire at 65 so 
hey, somewhere in the middle might not be too bad. Is, is, that, what you're, is that what you're talking about today, man? Absolutely. I feel like I was kind of a, a, a guinea pig. Like I feel like I went to the edge of money. That that's really the way that I feel. I spent all of my time studying, researching, making money, launching companies, launching side hustles, selling companies, creating partnerships, hiring employees. You know, I I, I feel like I was kind of a test dummy for these ideas. And I, I learned, I mean, it was my life. It's like, imagine you spend, you know, almost seven years of your life dedicated to one particular thing. You're going to learn a lot about it. I mean, I spent, you know, gosh, 20,000 hours or more thinking about money during that time period. And one of the reasons why I wrote the book is because I think I figured out, at least for my own life, those things that actually matter and the things that actually move the needle and make a difference. And so you don't have to go out and read 400 personal finance books. That's why I wrote my book. It's like I've spent my life dedicated to making this happen and I made it happen. And here are the things that actually matter. Here's the things that are going to help you get to the next level. Um, And I wrote it in a non-fluff way. You know, it's 125,000 words of just nonstop tips and, you know, strategies and mindsets, because, um, a lot of people don't have that time. They're not going to have that luxury. And that's why I had to give back, man, because this, this changed my life. And I, I couldn't even envision that I'd be where I am today when I was living back with my parents. I, you know, I, it, this, this literally transformed my life. Like it, it, it's given me more time to learn about myself and spend time with my wife and spend time with my friends. And, you know, I've been to over 30 countries. I've, you know, I feel so immensely blessed, uh, for this opportunity that I want other people to, to have this too. You know, I, I, I can only give back. Like I, once I got through it, man, the first couple reader emails that I got, like you helped me save an extra thousand dollars. I just got the best email that I've gotten since I launched uh, millennial money. It's from a 13 year old kid in San Jose. And he read an article about me on CNBC. And the subject line was, I want to be you when I grow up. (laughs) And literally that's what he said. And he's like, I see how to do it. He's like, I'm already thinking about my side hustle. I see the path. And here's a 13-year-old kid that seems so fired up to make this happen. This guy will probably be like 25 and financially independent. And then just imagine like what he can do now having freed up his time for the rest of his life. And, you know, these are extreme examples like you mentioned, but simple things like increasing your savings rate from 5 to 30%, it's going to cut at least 15 years off the time that it takes to retire. You know, that's, that's massive. That's massive. And those are the big costs people need to concern themselves. Like you said, the housing, the transportation, let's, let's talk about how to go from that five to 30. I think that's a great conversation for us to have. Let's cause you know, maybe not everybody's going to be, you know, at 13 or in their early twenties, who's listening to this saying, well, you know, I I got the opportunity to bang it out, but you put some really good advice in your book. uh, And I want to, I want to give people an opportunity to learn today. So let's talk about how how to go from that five to 30%. What would people do if they're saying, Oh, man, I thought I was doing good. I'm saving 5%. You know, I put it in my 401k at work and, uh, you know, I thought that was going to get me to retirement. And maybe part of our story today is you got to do a little bit more. So how do we go from that five to 30? What, what would you say to people? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the first thing that you want to do is look at your expenses, you know, how you're spending your money and ask yourself the very simple question, is this worth it? And how happy is this making me? And so one of the things I always recommend is you just look at how you're spending your money and you, and, and, you know, you look at if it's making your life better, if it's making you happy and if it's not, then cut it out. And one of the things that I found is a lot of the things that made me the happiest ended up being either free or pretty inexpensive, you know, like walking my dog in the park on a Sunday, that's free. Um, you know, having a picnic in the summer, you know, and, and listening to some free music, that's maybe 
$20 for the food, $10 for the wine, you know, all those things that actually made me the happiest in life ended up being pretty inexpensive. And I was like, why don't I just build my life to maximize these opportunities as opposed to all those things that, you know, I grew up thinking that I would need like a big house or a new car or a new car every couple of years. Or I remember when I was like 16, I was like, oh, I'm going to have a boat one day. It's going to be amazing. Um, but just looking at it through like, and if a boat makes you happy, like I know some people, like if a boat makes you happy or you've got some like $50,000 vintage Mercedes that is just like the best thing in the world to you. And you just love it every Sunday when you drive it. Great. Like I'm not here to tell you what to buy or what not to buy, but seriously looking and I recommend, especially for couples, when you're having that money conversation, ask yourself last month, like, don't focus on the numbers first, not like, how much did we spend here? How much did we spend there? How are we tracking to our progress? That should be where you go second. The first thing you should ask is, did what we spend, like, were we happy with it? Like, did we enjoy last month? Like, did spending money help us live a life that we love or did it not? And so when you lead with that first that type of a question, maybe one month you spend more money than another month or you overspent, but you're like, you know what? We had a really amazing January. That was, you know, we spent a little more than we thought we were going to spend, but that's great. Um, and then always being realistic. This is the thing. A lot of people who set budgets, a, I think budgets for a lot of people are the biggest barrier in personal finance because they reinforce a scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the simple idea of like track every single thing that you spend and, oh my gosh, we overspent. Now we feel guilty. And then when you feel guilty about money, um, it creates a negative relationship with it. It's like that, you know, the friend that you kind of don't like. And so you avoid them or you don't call them back. You know, it's like the same thing. It's like, if you feel guilty and you don't like, it makes you feel uncomfortable, then you're not going to want to, uh, uh, you know, sit down and think about it and, and try to make more. And so I think, you know, like I mentioned, focusing on those little things and trying to cut them back, that's it's almost not only a waste of time in a lot of ways. It's it it theoretically, those little things are probably where you're getting the most joy going out to a movie with your friends, you know, having some great wine, having a picnic, you know, cooking out on your grill, uh, you know, whatever that may be, those aren't where you're going to, that's not how you're going to get from 5% to 30%. The only way that you're going to get from 5% to 30% are two things. You need to either number one, save on those biggest expenses, like we talked about housing, transportation, and food, or number two, you need to make more money and keep living the way that you're living. So that's one of those things too, is a lot of people don't take the opportunity to make more money. Instead, they focus all their energy on trying to cut back or using debt as kind of a crutch. Uh, to saving more money. And so the simple idea is that say you're making $50,000 a year and you know, you're saving um, $2,500 a year, you're saving 5%, you know, maybe that's all you can save based on the family you have, where you live. And so the only option is to either move to a smaller apartment or get some roommates. But if you can't do that or you don't want to do that, you have to go out and try to make more money. Because say you can go from $50,000 to $70,000 and save that additional $20,000, you know, all of a sudden you've gone from saving, you know, what, $2,500 to $22,500. And now that simple raise or new job, as long as you don't spend more money, you've immediately increased your savings rate from five to over 30%. We'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsors. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, -on -one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. 
Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Thanks for considering our sponsors, everyone. Let's jump back into the show. help people figure out how to get that extra 20. Let's talk about growing your salary at work. Where, where's the best oh, place man. for people to start at work w- with their job? If they've got a full-time job, how can they make more money? Dude, I love this question. Um, so first off, even if you don't like your job or you want to leave your job right now for a vast majority of people, your full-time job is that place where you're going to want to maximize the money that you're making. And so the first step is um, make sure you're maximizing all the benefits that you have. A vast majority of Americans, I think only like 22% of Americans are taking full advantage of their benefits. Some people have benefits they don't even know exist. And if you take full advantage of your benefits, that's often an increase in maybe 20 to 50% compensation. You know, it's just like getting a raise in a lot of ways. And so make sure that just schedule a simple meeting with your HR uh, department. Just a 20 minute meeting can have an absolutely insane ROI. Go in and ask them a simple question. Am I taking uh, advantage of all the benefits that we have? You know, are you contributing to an HSA or an FSA? Are you maximizing your transportation benefits? And then the last benefit that ultimately has the biggest impact on your happiness is a work remote uh, opportunity. And so the great thing now in today's working environment is many, many companies, even the U.S. government, are becoming more flexible and giving more employees the opportunity to work remotely. And even if you don't necessarily want to work remotely, say, all the time, just having the flexibility to work remotely maybe you know four to six days uh, a month can have a massive impact on uh, just your overall happiness and quality of life. Because what it does when you work remotely is you're able to disrupt that traditional relationship between time and money. Because perhaps, you know, you could get all of your work done at home in three hours. You know, it depends on the type of job you have, whether you're salaried or not. Um, But a lot of work remote opportunities, as long as you get the job done and, you know, you're getting the work done and your boss is happy, perhaps you could do that work in two hours instead of, you know, eight hours that you usually spend in the office, in addition to not having to commute. And now, you know, you've bought yourself more time or you're making more money in less time. You know, this is one of those things that unfortunately, a lot of employees, even the employees that I used to have, a lot of people are afraid of their boss. They're, you know, either it's they've been afraid of authority or they worry that they're going to get fired. But in a vast majority of cases, if you ask for a raise or ask for the opportunity to work remotely uh, one day a week, and let me note that because you don't have to go from like 
not working remotely to 100% work remote, Good you know, point. it's often best to start with one day a week and then build up because once you feel comfortable and your boss feels comfortable, then ask for two days a week. Um, but, you know, back to that original point of like the fear of getting fired, in a lot of cases, if you've been at your company a little while, first off, it it often costs companies at least 30 to 60% of your salary, annual salary, just to replace you. You know, it costs a lot of money to replace employees. And that's just one reason why you probably have more leverage than you think that you do. And so going in and just asking for a five to $10,000 raise, your company might just give it to you because it would be more expensive for them to go out and replace you. I mean, that's just kind of like a bare bones uh, idea to start with. The second thing is, if you're adding value to your company, there's almost always a way, as long as your company's you know in a decent financial position, that you can make more money. And this is one of those things: is most companies are just legal pyramid schemes. You know, they're set up so the person at the top makes as much money as possible. I mean, that's how money flows. It just flows up, and you try to get a lot of work. Uh, out of the younger workers, you try to get a lot of work out of the high salaried employees. I mean, that's the catch 22 of making more money because often with making more money or a new job title comes more responsibilities and more responsibilities. It means that it's going to take more of your time uh, or more of your effort. So that's important to remember. But the thing is, there's always sort of wasted money in the system. And one of the things that I recommend that you do is a couple things. Analyze your market value. This is so essential. Most people just aren't even getting paid what they're worth or what another company would pay you based on your skills or experience. And the great thing about today is it's never been easier in history to figure out what other people in your same position or with your same job title make uh, with your experience and salary, you know, you can use sites like indeed and Glassdoor. but even better than that, you can contact recruiters in your industry. Um, you know, I know for example, Andy, you know, you work in, uh, in marketing, mm-hmm. you know, you can contact recruiters, uh, in your city, just two or three of them and say, Hey, here's my LinkedIn profile. Here's my resume. Um, here's how much money I'm making. Um, you know, do you think that I'm getting paid my market rate? Do you know of any companies that are hiring that would pay more, uh, for this experience? Are there any skills that I don't have that are really in demand now, uh, in my industry, uh, that I should be building? You know, recruiters are paid by companies when they find you a job, you know, when, when, when a company hires you. And so they're out there looking for really high quality people to place in jobs. And so they'll talk to you, they'll give you information and their job is literally to be on the market pulse of your industry. And so there's no better place to get information on how much money you could be making than having a relationship with a couple of recruiters. Just reach out to them. They'll chat with you. They're going to want to form relationships with you. And some of the best opportunities that I've gotten in my life have been because I talked to a recruiter at one point, literally three years down the road, one recruiter remembered me and she reached out to me because she had a job opportunity. I didn't end up taking the job because I had my own company, but I was able to to sell that company um, a freelance gig um, and and make a bunch of money just because of a, a lunch that I'd had with a recruiter three years before. So best case scenario, you get a ton of information that that's going to tell you, whoa, I'm, I'm getting underpaid by $20,000 based on my experience. And then you can use that when you go into negotiate a higher salary and say, Hey, I've chatted with recruiters. Recruiters have reached out to me. And, you know, based on my experience and skills, the average market rate for my job is actually 145,000, not $125,000. Um, and then maybe as an added benefit, one of those recruiters will say, Hey, uh, we've got, I've got an even better job for you. And all of a sudden, just cause you had one conversation, you're making $30,000 more because this other company has been looking for someone just like you. Uh, so s- establishing those recruiter relationships. And then the last thing is simply look for industry reports. A lot of those agencies, a lot of companies will put out industry reports. Almost every industry has these um, that will tell you how much money the average uh, person in your type of job is making in your city. 
And this is the important thing. And also in other cities. And that's one of the beautiful things is, you know, so many of us are making money on our computers and our jobs are mostly on computers that you can live in a lower cost uh, place. You know, for example, like like Detroit, like you do, Andy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you could work remotely uh, given your skill set for a company. You know, obviously, I don't know what you make, but you could work remotely for a company uh, in Chicago or even New York City. And in New York City and a lot of markets jobs, you can make almost two times the amount of money uh, than you could in a place like Chicago or Detroit. And, you know, sure, you might have to travel to New York occasionally, but you could work remotely most of the time and then travel to New York and be making double the amount of money in the place where you still live with the same cost of living. And then all of a sudden you have twice your salary that you can invest instead. And the, and and the employer doesn't happen. even have to pay for my seat at their building, right? <laughs> Absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a win, win, win for everybody. And I'm seeing, you know, you might think, Oh gosh, this is unrealistic. No. I mean, this is happening every single day all over the place because in places like New York city and Chicago and LA, because it's so expensive to live in these places, there's a talent shortage. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and maybe they could get you for 30% cheaper than someone who lives here. So you're still making 70% more money and they get a deal and you get a deal and it's a win win for everybody. So, you know, you want to, establish those relationships with recruiters. I always recommend, you know, if you live in a place with a low cost of living area, contact recruiters in big cities by you and talk to them about opportunities. Um, because increasingly those recruiters are going to have freelance opportunities, uh, for you as well. Um, so once you, once you do this, this is the last thing. Once you do this, what you want to do is you want to put this into a little package that, you know, you're not going to show to your boss, but you want to always keep, you know, this is the crazy thing, man. We spend like over 2000 hours a year working, but we spend like 10 minutes preparing to ask for a raise, you know, literally the thing that's going to have probably the biggest impact on how much money we make this year and over our lifetimes, you know, so spend an hour a month, just keeping a, you know, keeping a record in like a, you know, a Google drive folder, or on your phone or in a physical folder of these conversations that you have with recruiters. You know, we spend so much time with our jobs, but very little on career optimization. And so taking that step and then the final step, keep an Excel file of all those times that you've gone above and beyond in your full-time job. So you have to remember that your employer is paying you to do a job. That's what your salary is for, but they're not necessarily paying you to go above and beyond. And so just keep a simple Excel file or a note, uh, you know, note on your phone every time that you go above and beyond the call of duty. And what's going to happen is in six months or a year, when you go and ask for a raise, you're probably going to have hundreds of examples of when you went above and beyond. And you don't want to go into your boss and just drop that on their table uh, and say, Hey, look, I've gone above and beyond 127 times. Um, but you're going to want to pick a couple of examples that are representative of that show how you've gone above and beyond that you deserve more money. And that most importantly, you want to be at the company and you want to help the company grow. And that's, that's how you should start every conversation, uh, with your boss around a raise. Hey, I really enjoy being here. I love the work. I want to stay here. I'm, I'm excited to help the business grow here. Look at, look at these examples of how I went above and beyond to make that possible. Always start with a positive before asking for a raise and then just lead with a simple, Hey, you know, I've, I've analyzed my market rates Some recruiters have reached out to me. You know, I've, I've looked at what I've done in the past year and, you know, based on what I'm getting paid, I'd like a, you know, I'd like a 20, percent raise. Um, and note that I said 20% there and not a dollar amount. You're significantly more likely to get a raise if you ask in the form of a percentage as opposed to a dollar amount. The reason is that percentages are abstract. Your boss might not remember and know exactly what you make off the top of your head. And it's harder for them to think about what that money would buy. So if you make $100,000 and asking for a 20% raise as opposed to a $20,000 raise, immediately $20,000 feels like a lot more and it's going to feel like more to them because you can realize and you think about what $20,000 could buy. So always ask for a percentage increase um, no matter what situation you're in and, and definitely at least get paid what another company 
based on your skills and experience would pay you for your job. I love the point you made on um, calculating the above and beyond moments, right? Writing those down. And a big part of the problem, I think, and what I've heard from other people I've interviewed on the show is that they haven't had that conversation with their supervisor to say, hey, what could I do to make your life easier? Or what can I do to go above and beyond? What are those specific things? Because if you don't know what those are, you don't know how to excel, right? You don't know how to do the above and beyond moments. So have that conversation with your supervisor and they'll feel like, wow, they're really asking me. They want to go above and beyond. I'm going to tell them what it is. So first step is having that conversation, right? To make sure that you know how to go above and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. And revisit your job description. Yeah. I mean, that's often what your HR department and your boss are looking at, you know, when they're thinking about whether, you know, what to pay you more. And then the last thing is in selling in your full-time job and anything, try to make your boss look as good as possible to their boss or the board and sell that value up the food chain. Because if you make your boss look good, and a simple way to do that is to craft an email that your boss can then repurpose and send to their boss about all the amazing things that you've done in the past year, all the great goals that you've accomplished. All you know, Oftentimes, your boss in a lot of companies, they're going to be so busy. They have their own work, their own family, their own lives that they probably haven't seen a lot of the amazing things that you've been doing um, unless they really pay close attention. And so you have to sell your story. And then if you sell that story in the right way, they can then use that story for their boss. And all of a sudden it's like, hey, look at this great stuff that's coming out of our department or out of our division. Um, And so the better you are at helping communicate your own value, the more money you're going to make in your full-time job and your side engagements. Um, that's one of the things I've always done is try to make my boss or my client look as good as possible to their boss. Um, because then you're, you're sending love all the way up the food chain and you're much more likely to get paid more over time to keep doing that. This is the real stuff, everybody. I mean, we can cancel our Netflix subscriptions or stop getting the coffee, but this is really how, you increase that savings rate. This is really how you could push towards financial independence. So, so Grant, we, we talked about making money at work. L- let's talk about, hey, you know, I feel like maybe I'm at my cap at what I do at my job, uh, but I have passion somewhere else and a little bit of time. So let's talk about side hustling. What can people do to choose the right side hustle to, to move forward with to make a little bit more money? Uh, The first thing that you need to do is figure out how much time that you have to side hustle in a given week. You know, one one of my readers reached out and, you know, he's like, hey, Grant, I really want to start a side hustle. And I said, great. How much time do you have? And he said, you know, I don't I don't really have any time. And I said, well, what do you do on a regular basis? And he's like, I'm the marshal for my local marathon. You know, I'm on two nonprofit boards. I play in a pickup basketball league. I have two kids and another kid on the way. Um, I coach my son's basketball team. You know, he had so many things that he was doing in his life. And I was like, hey, man, you know, you're going to have to be honest with yourself that it, it sounds like you actually do have no time to launch a side hustle. And, you know, you have to be realistic with yourself. And if you want to launch a side hustle, but you have no time, you're going to have to find time. You're going to have to look at everything you're doing, um, even if you enjoy doing it through the lens of, okay, am I willing to give this up in order to buy more freedom and more and make more money, uh, you know, to, to fast track my financial independence. And so, you know, I went through that exercise with him and he decided to step away from the the two nonprofit boards and uh, cut back a little bit uh, on some of his other uh, obligations. And he was able to find about eight hours a week to side hustle. Um, and he's been successful doing that. So being realistic with yourself about how much time you have. The second thing is, I think a lot of people think about side hustling wrong because, um, okay, there's no right or wrong way to think about it, but I think that the right way to think about it is try to side hustle for yourself instead of someone else. So if you drive for Lyft or drive for Uber, you're still going to be limited by how much money you make because you only have so many hours in the day and how much money you're actually making isn't determined by you. The only thing you can do is, you know, work more or work less. 
all the money that you're making, the, the rate is determined by you know Uber or Lyft, not by you. And so side hustling for someone else is very different than side hustling for yourself. And so you know the example that I always give, and I think it's a good one is that, you know, you shouldn't just walk dogs. You should launch your own dog walking company because what happens then instead of just being limited, and this is like the entire book is all about how to make as much money as you can, um, for your time by thinking about time and money in a different way. I think a lot, a lot of what holds people back and we'll get back to side hustling in one second is that they think that time is money. That's like the biggest myth in the world. They think that they have to actually trade their time for money. But the simple example of when you're walking a dog and you're a dog walker for someone else, yes, you can only make money by trading your time. But the simple shift to launching your own dog walking company and hiring others to walk the dogs, all of a sudden you're no longer limited by the time you have because you're paying others for their time. So in a day when you could only walk dogs for three hours, now you have three people, contractors who's work, who are working for you, and you have 15 hours a day that you can monetize because you're paying them for their time. And so then you've shifted for trading your own time from trading your own time for money to being a connector between supply and demand. And when you become a connector between supply and demand, you become like a little Uber. I mean, that's all Uber does. Uber doesn't drive their own cars. They don't have their own drivers. They're just connecting. It's so simple. They're connecting people who need rides and want rides with people who will give them. And so if you can do that in your own life, don't walk the dogs, connect people who will walk the dogs with people who need their dogs walked. Same thing with a daycare. Don't watch the children, connect people with people who will watch the children who need that type of a service. And so just that simple mindset shift of side hustling for yourself um, is, is extremely important. The other thing is don't put up a ton of money to launch a side hustle. I mean, I see a lot of people, they invest a lot of money in tools and equipment the beautiful thing about side hustling is that you can test a lot of different ideas, but you shouldn't put up a lot of money because you don't want to go into debt for a, for an idea that doesn't yet have a proof of concept. And the proof of concept is the simple idea. If no one's bought something from you um, or you haven't sold a few of them, don't put money behind it. You know, Don't go and develop some crazy product and go into debt. Make sure that you have something that people are willing to buy from you, um, no matter what that is. And the only way to figure that out is by going out and trying to sell a few of them or trying to sell it to a few people. And then once you have a proof of concept, you can invest in it. And the final thing is try to side hustle doing something that you love or at least like. The great thing about the internet is there's so many paths to wealth. There's so many blueprints. You know, you can read about someone's story and be like, wow, they did that. I want to do that. But if you're not actually interested in that topic or that business model, you're not likely going to succeed. And the reason why is, you know, you're going to get really fired up for a couple months and then you're going to burn out. You know, if you're not making money, um, you're going to get bored. And at the end of the day, making money is great. But what's terrible is making money doing something that you just don't like to do. And side hustling is that incredible opportunity where it's never been easier to get paid to do things that you love. You just have to think creatively about it. So if you really love rock climbing and camping, for example, if that's like your passion, think about sit down and write a list of all the ways that you can make money in that industry. You know, launching an ultra lightweight camping company, um, leading uh, tours, working at a climbing gym. Gym, giving giving private lessons to climbers. Um, you know, there's so many different things you can do. Write a book about it. Launch a blog about it. Try to do a side hustle around something that you love, and you're going to be much more likely to not only stick with it, but have fun and make money in the process. Don't just try to go out and do something that someone else has done. And the final thing is. I firmly believe that skills are future currency. And so in, you know, because of the rise of the gig economy, because of automation, the more skills that you have and the more diverse your skill sets, the more money you're going to make both today and over your lifetime. So if you're good at branding, learn how to do analytics. If you know how to code, learn how to do design. Um, if you're great at data mining, learn how to sell. If you're great at coding, learn how to sell. 
Um, selling is one of those particular skill sets. And a lot of people think like selling is really sleazy. No, selling is just about giving value and communicating value to others. Um, selling is going to be increasingly in demand um, as, you know, in human one-to-one contact as things get more and more digital. So just diversifying your skills and side hustling is a great way to get paid to do that by having your own little business, your own side hustle, learn how to build your own website, learn how to do your own logo, learn how to do your own email marketing, your own coding, your own selling, and all of a sudden your own accounting. And all of a sudden you've shifted from just making money for someone else to you've adopted that enterprise mindset that I've talked about. And now you have the skills to make money on your own terms. And it's not necessarily easy, but it's never been easier to learn almost all these things on YouTube. And these are skills that don't go away. You can use them for the rest of your life. You can even use them in your full-time job. I have friends that are bloggers that, you know, they've been able to go to their company and say, Hey, you know, our website's, you know, not nice. We need a new website. I can build it. I have those skills. And all of a sudden your company is like, Whoa, look at this extra value, um, you know, that this person has added. So skills, the more and diverse your skills are going to be, the more money you're going to be able to make over the rest of your life. And thankfully it's never been easier to learn those types of skills. You just got to be curious and you just got to keep with it. And like all this stuff that I'm talking about today, it doesn't matter unless you put it into practice and you don't have to dive all in tomorrow I recommend you wake up in the morning with your with your coffee. Um, I call it my uh, money meditation. Every morning I spend about five minutes looking at my money, thinking about money, looking at how much money I spent the day before and last week, how it made me feel. And then all of a sudden, because I spent some time with my money, then the rest of the day, I'm more comfortable with it. I'm better at seeing money-making opportunities. I'm better at spending less because I looked at how much I spent in the past week. And I'm like, you know, this actually probably wouldn't make me uh, that happy. And so the more comfortable that you get with money, the more you control it, the less that it will control you. And then you start seeing money as a path to freedom, not as some abstract, confusing, stressful thing. And I'll tell you what, the last thing about side hustles, once you make that first thousand or $2,000, even $500 on your own, you know, you sold an engagement, you sold a product, you got a client, that's going to feel so good that you're going to want to keep doing it because you've made money on your own terms. You don't have to rely on your boss or a full-time job. And the thing is that can get pretty addicting and you never have to turn your side hustle into a big, big company. But if you side hustle to invest, so instead of spending that extra $500 a month, you invest it instead, just an extra thousand dollars a month, you've cut years, literally years off the time that it'll take you to retire. I love it. And, you know, obviously investing, we could go into that quite a bit. And and there's a lot of great information about where to put all that money you're making. And you're going to find it in this book. Grant, where can people find this book and where can they connect with you? Yeah, a great place is uh, you can just go to financialfreedombook.com, financialfreedombook.com, at Financial Freedom on Instagram. The book has its own account. You can follow the book around the world, and there's tons of bonuses. Um, In addition to the book, I'm releasing 12 calculators. So a lot of the things I talked about today, there's even the Financial Freedom Calculator, which helps you measure not only how much money you're making, but how much time you're saving. Uh, when you invest or when you don't buy something. So financialfreedombook.com, you can search for financial freedom on Amazon. It's the nice, bright blue book cover. And yeah, hit me up, uh, millennialmoney.com. And gosh, I'm just so excited uh, to to release this book. And um, it's pretty much everything that I think that you need to know about, um, you know, scaling your full-time job, launching a side hustle, investing ultimately through the lens of making more money in less time and accelerating your financial freedom so that you have more money to most importantly do those things that you love. So, hey man, Andy, this was just such a pleasure. Absolutely, man. Well, everybody, you can hear the passion in Grant's voice. Not only is he passionate about the topic, but he's passionate about being a teacher, being somebody that is want, that wants to give back. And this is his way of giving back. So 
check out this book. It is a great read. I had the opportunity to go through it, uh, give it a chance. And, uh, I think you're really going to come away with something that not only will help you with your finances, but may change the way you think about money just completely. So Grant, thanks again. And I really appreciate you being here, man. Thank you, man. Thanks for all you do. And I hope you have a nice day. There were so many excellent takeaways from that chat. And if I had to boil it down, which which I always do, here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Grant Sabatier. Number one, realize you can only save so much. If you're pursuing the fire or financial independence path, reducing your wasteful spending is important, but there will come a point in time when you just can't reduce any more, or you simply don't want to because it feels uncomfortable, or your spouse doesn't want you to. <laughs> That's when it's time to make more money. Oh, yeah. Bring home the bacon. <laughs> I love bacon, by the way. <laughs> Number two, talk with your employer about a raise. So, this is the bacon part here, people. If you're exceeding expectations at work, and you haven't received a pay increase in a while, it's time to ask for some more money. Set up a meeting with your supervisor, review the results of your hard work, and ask for that raise. And if you don't know how much you should be making, check out sites like Glassdoor so you can get an understanding of what people are making in your position and in your industry and in your location. That can really help you determine where to start asking. Number three, choose the right side hustle. If you're not able to make more income from your job, look into a side hustle like Grant did. His created so much additional income that he ended up leaving his nine to five. You know, maybe that's not what you want to do. Maybe you like your job, but you need that extra cash, right? So if you're going to go down this route, make sure you choose something that you really like because it's going to take some time to start earning good income. Also, think about your side hustle with Grant's dog walking analogy in mind. Don't just walk dogs for extra money. Start a dog walking company where you have others walk the dogs for you. This way you're becoming the business owner instead of you just trading your time for money. And this holds true for you know, the gig economy stuff we were talking about, like Uber and Lyft and DoorDash and all of the gig jobs out there. Trading your time for extra money might help you eliminate some debt or give you some extra cash immediately. But long term, you're not building a business. You're creating another job for yourself. So those were my top three takeaways. Number one, realize you can only save so much. Number two, talk with your employer about a raise. And then number three, choose the right side hustle. Making more money can feel so good. When you start earning that extra cash, make sure you use it wisely so you can create the kind of freedom that Grant shared with us today. Now it's time to announce the Money Master of the Week. Dana from Florida recently shared a side hustle project she's extremely proud of. A few months ago, she started a website and a blog focused on helping women with the twists and turns of being a mother for the very first time. And being a brand new mother herself, Dana uses this forum to share her experiences as a new mom and then the baby products that she's used as well. And, you know, these could be the good ones or the bad ones, as I saw on her website. So she's extremely thrilled about this new side hustle and really looks forward to growing it this year. If you want to learn more about Dana, check out her website at millennialmomconfessions.com. That's millennialmomconfessions.com. Dana, thank you so much for sharing your new site with us and congratulations for being our Money Master of the Week. Do you have a recent financial victory that you want to share on the show? Send me a note at andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com or leave me a voicemail at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail. I would love to hear from you and celebrate your success. You'll find all the links and resources for today's show at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 119. That's session 119. Before we go for the day, I'd like to ask you to do any one of these three things to support this show. 
Number one, subscribe to my YouTube channel. I have a lot of these interviews in video format. So if you're a video person, check it out. I'm at youtube.com slash marriage, kids, and money. Number two, subscribe in your favorite podcast player so we can hang out every week on Monday. And then number three, share this episode with a friend who wants to achieve financial independence like a grant did. If you do any of these three things, any of them, email me a screenshot and I'll send you a signed copy of Grant's new book for free. Now you have to be the first one to do this because I don't have that many copies. I have one copy that's signed. So be the first. Oh, and uh, Zoe and Calvin will draw you an awesome picture as well. And uh, we'll put that in the package. It'll be a lot of fun. I appreciate your support, everybody. And if you're new to the show, I'd highly recommend you checking out session 116 so you can understand the mission and philosophy of this podcast. It is a great place to start. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Robert Kiyosaki. If you want to be financially free, you need to become a different person than you are today and let go of whatever has held you back in the past. Be open to change and take the first step today, my friends. Carpe diem. 